Welcome to the EquipCast for the Archdiocese of Omaha. Designed to help leaders to transform their cultures, to embody the pastoral vision, to be one church, encountering Jesus, equipping disciples, and living mercy. All right, welcome to the EquipCast. My name is Jim Jansen. I'm the director of the pastoral services here at the Archdiocese of Omaha. And I am joined by my co-host today, Father Jeff Lorig. And uh, we've got a, a friend that both Father and I connected with uh, a couple of years ago and been a real blessing to get to know Ron Huntley. Ron is the Director of Coaching for the Divine Renovation Network. And Ron's been, yeah, well, a coach and a consultant for us. And really just a, a great pleasure for us to be able to welcome Ron here. Ron, how are you doing this morning? I'm great. Thank you. It's great to be with you guys. I'm excited for our time together this morning. So, Ron, whenever we start this, we just love to give people an opportunity to share a little bit of their story. So, like, who is Ron Huntley? What's Jesus done in your life? Just tell us a little bit about your story. Hmm. So, I was a cradle Catholic, and my mom's an Irish uh, uh, lady, so going to church wasn't an option. I, I didn't necessarily find it fun. Between church and Sunday school, it wasn't my two favorite hours of the week growing up, I was a rambunctious boy. I loved to run and wrestle and keep score, sitting still and listening to adults do what they did at Mass was painful for me. We'd say our prayers every night before we'd go to bed. Our Father, the Hail Mary, the Guardian Angel, pray for all the aunts and uncles. And so that was just, those were staples. We'd pray the rosary during during Lent, God was always a part of my life, and I was thankful for that. That's my mother's influence. I enjoyed my prayer time with my mother more than I enjoyed the formal liturgical prayers and, and the Sunday school formation that I had as a kid. I, I really uh, struggled with that just because of my energy level. Yeah, you're, you're the only one, by the way. <laughs> I, I remember, and I remember this as plain as day, Jim. I remember being probably about eight years old, eight to ten years old, and I was an altar boy. And then we used to sing a song. I used to love being an altar boy for the first five minutes because we'd all march up. He'd get, the priest would get every kid who was an altar boy up on the, on the altar at the same time. So you felt like you were like Stanley Cup hockey champions. You'd all be in your uniforms, right? We'd just cover the altar with altar boys. It must have been so cute for all the parents to look up and see us not paying attention. But I, I remember being out there one day, and I remember hearing us sing the song. I used to love this song. They will know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Yes. So, do you know that one? Yes. We will walk. Please don't. No, please stop. Please stop. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I love the song because it was just this. What I remember being a boy looking out at the congregation and thinking to myself, this isn't true. We don't know each other. We're not connected with each other. This is this song isn't our reality. And I loved the song. I loved the ideal of the song. But as a young boy, I thought there's a disconnect between what we say and sing and what we experience. And as a young boy, I knew that. And I never really thought much of it. Back then, a lot of my friends went to church, but the older I got, the more of them that dropped off. And I'd always wanted them to come back because I believed that going to church was the right thing. I, I, I loved Jesus and I I loved the church. I didn't always get it. I didn't always understand it. I didn't always feel it was impactful to the lives of the people around me, but I didn't know anything else. It's all I knew. So I just kept doing what I knew. And I remember being 15 years old and my mom asked me, and I was a rebellious guy, you know, I was selfish. I was 
growing up with the, my dad wasn't, you know, my parents were divorced. And so he's still in my life, but now I was hurting in ways that I couldn't articulate. And, and I was getting into some trouble doing some stuff that some young boys do and they're a little bit lost and searching. Again, you're the only one. Yeah, I, th I think so. It's a Canadian problem. It's <laughs> <laughs> and my mom asked me, Ron, would you be willing to go on a boys retreat? I know some other boys uh, at your school who went last year and they loved it. It's called the Challenge Weekend. It's part of the Curcio movement. And would, you, would you like to go? And I said, no. She's like, really? Because I think you'd have a lot of fun. Like the guys I talk to, they play hockey too. They're cool. They, I, they had a lot of, I think you'd really enjoy it. What do you say? Would you like to go? No. <laughs> she said, well, listen, I don't ask you to do much. I'm your mother. And this is really important to me. And so I have a guilt, eh? And so yeah. I'm like, oh, mom, when is it? And she told me the date. And it's probably like three months away. And when you're 15 years old, three months is an eternity. I didn't even know if I'd still be alive in three months. And so I thought, I'll say yes, because I know I'll forget. Hopefully she'll forget. And then she'll stop bugging me because this is uncomfortable. And so I said yes. And she was so excited. And then I completely forgot about it. And I remember it was the week before. And she said, Ron, just reminding you, next weekend is the retreat. I'm like, what retreat? You know, the challenge retreat that I asked you about that I signed you up for. I said, Mom, I can't. I have two hockey games and one football game on that weekend. And I would love to go, but clearly the guys need me. I can't go. And she said, you're going. I was so mad. I thought to myself, I'm going to show her. I'm going to be miserable the whole time. And then when this is all over, she'll never ask me to go to some stupid retreat again. And so I was cranky and nasty. And she dropped me off there and I had my crankiest face on. I was pouting and upset. Well, probably 15, 20 minutes into the weekend retreat, I was having a time in my life. And you're, sit you're seated at these tables with the same guys the whole weekend. Well, there's another guy across the table. He actually got in some trouble as well. He got brought home by the police. And when you're a Catholic boy who gets brought home by the police, Whatever comes out of your parents' mouth next, you're going to do it. And apparently it was this retreat. So he had to be there. His name was James Mallon. And we became really close on that weekend retreat. And I'll never forget that Saturday night, looking up at the cross and realizing Jesus knew my name. And he loved me. And he died for me so that I could live a life of hope and freedom and joy. And I was so hurt by that because I didn't deserve his sacrifice. I was miserable to my mother. I was selfish. I didn't treat people properly. I was rotten on the inside in so many ways. I didn't deserve that kind of sacrifice. And he didn't ask me. He did it because he loved me. And I cried my face off. And the love of God washed over me, and I was never the same. I still had a lot of searching to do, but God had me, hook, line, and sinker. It's not that he didn't have me before, but I was kind of formed in the faith, and it was my mother, and I was doing the right things, but he knew who Ron Huntley was, and he loved me anyway, and I didn't feel like I deserved it. His mercy and his grace. And that friendship I developed with that Father James, who became Father James Mellon, the author of Divine Renovation. We didn't hang around together, but anytime we connected, we were like this. 
And I remember years before he said to me, we ran into each other, he said, Ron, if I had my way, I would hire you as an, the director of evangelization and I would let you run free because I know your heart. And I said, Father James, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. We're <laughs> Catholic. You can't say the word evangelization in the church and you know it. He said, that's all right. I don't have any money anyway. I couldn't afford to hire you. And it was probably 10 years later when he was asked by the bishop to take over this brand new church, an amalgamation of three churches that were failing to come together and built this monster church with a monster debt and all kinds <laughs> of hurt and pain because everybody hates leaving what they knew before to go into something new. And he called me to be a part of his church. He said the Holy Spirit came upon him at a moment when he was on an event with Nicky Gumbel, actually, who's being trained to be a speaker. And right in the middle of an event when the Holy Spirit, so it was like 10,000 volts of lightning just hit him and said, you have to call Ron Huntley. Nobody knew that he was going to be the pastor of this new church yet. And I just had a terrible experience in the church that I belonged to at the time, real follow with the pastor and just told him it was like just some crazy painful experiences <laughs> it's like, oh, i felt really low and i get this call he says ron I said, yeah it's father james i said what's up he said the holy spirit just convicted me he said i'm going to this new church nobody knows yet but i think god wants us to work together will you come work for me like i'm at the lowest place i've been in a long time spiritually because of my fallout with my pastor and and all the implications that i am and as soon as he asked me that, I literally, the instant scripture that came to me is, get away from me, I'm a sinful man. When Peter said to Jesus in the boat, get away from me, I'm a sinful man. That's exactly what came to me. And I was empty. And that's how I know it was from God. <laughs> because it wasn't coming out of my strength. It wasn't coming out of my abilities. It wasn't becoming out of my past experience. I was empty. And then he gets his call. And I said, James, I can't. Like, I got to. Family to support. I know how much the church pays. I don't know what it's like. You know, well, it was terrible in Canada. Mm -hmm. I can't raise a family off that. And he says, well, part-time, anything, like anything. Like, I believe God's calling us to work together. I said, well, let me pray about it and get back to you. And I get back to him and I said something that was so prophetic and goofy. But I didn't know it at the time. I called him the next day. I said, if you're calling me to build a church, I'm not interested. But if you're calling me because you think if you and I got together, he could impact the church through us, I'm all in. And he said, Ron, that's mm. exactly what I think God is doing. But we didn't know what that meant. He hadn't written a book. We didn't have a ministry. And that began this journey of really transforming St. Benedict Parish to be a church that was absolutely on fire and living that song. They will know we are Christians by our love. We will walk with each other. We will walk side by side. I remember Father James used to grab me from time to time when I wasn't looking. He'd pinch me under the arm. It hurt like crazy. <laughs> and I'd be like, no, don't do that. <laughs> He'd say to me, Ron, can you believe that we get to belong to a church like this? Because we were having so much fun. Everything that we talk about and sing about, we were actually living in a parish. And it was the most amazing thing in the world. Gosh. Yeah, Ron, I mean, that's that's an amazing story. I did not know your personal story, but how early your life with uh, Father James intersected. That's really beautiful. I'm just going to be processing that for a while. Tell us a little bit about, like, what was it like early days to say, Benedict? I mean, you said it was fun. 
but like what was it yeah what was it like the early days weren't fun right i read the book well and the huge debt thing that was a nice little carrot to drop in there too father james and i love chaos so it was fun because it was insane like I remember going to a meeting, starting up Alpha, and the only way I knew how to run Alpha previously was in teams. So I'd get a team of leaders, like core team of like 12, and we talk mm -hmm. about things, we make decisions together. So that's all I knew. In the very first meeting at St. Benedict Parish running Alpha, I brought these people together who I didn't know, but you know, one guy was good at this, and so I brought all these people, men and women together, all different ages. They came from the three different churches. And I proceeded to have the worst meeting I've ever had in my entire life. The lady that was ahead of, <laughs> that was ahead of the food, which when you're in health, it's not a small thing. She was so upset for everybody else buttoning in and telling her what to do. She got up and said, that's it. I'm out of here. And she walked out of the meeting. And I thought, I'm never going to have another meeting like this again. It was the best thing that ever happened to me. It totally changed the way I've run Alpha. I've never run Alpha that way since. But the hurt and the pain that people were experiencing because they come from a different church and they had a way of doing things. So whose way are we going to do it? Are we going to do it that church's way, this church? So there was so much pain, but I didn't mind it. I didn't mind it because I expected it. And I was constantly looking for people who I could work with. And that meant I had to filter through a lot of people early because you know when you can work with somebody. Wait, talk more about that. You're saying it took you a while to find the leaders that God had for you to work with? I used the ones that I had and we stumbled through and we made a lot of mistakes, but I don't mind making mistakes. Like I, I expect mistakes. I expect chaos. I expect, <laughs> you know, people getting upset. And, and so I find it amusing. I find it because I love them. And so spending time with them, I fall in love with them. And, and, and that's the beauty of having a relationship that's built in Jesus. Like, like the friends I make are, are not the ones I made when I was going to high school, <laughs> when I was worried about my image and everything else. No, I love these people. So no, I worked with what I had, but I knew where I wanted to go with Alpha. And I knew where I wanted to go, where we wanted to go with the church. And so we're constantly speaking vision and giving people a chance to engage in conversation. And eventually, you know whether or not somebody's with you or not. So either they'll self-select off or you'll just have to say, you know what, it's not going to work if you continue to hold this line because this is where we're going. And if you can't go there, that's okay, but I need somebody who can. And, and so there was a selection process that happens. And that's the beauty about clear vision is you can be rooted in where you're going with confidence, even when you're getting pushback and rejection. But if what I'm following is God's call for our church, then I can walk forward in confidence, even in the midst of chaos, if that makes any sense. And so mm -hmm. there was this tension. And, and, and when people would leave, and they did, that same person quit three times in that one alpha session. I kept thinking, I actually kept leaving. <laughs> awesome. So it wasn't easy, but it was fun. But it was chaotic. And, and there was a lot of people judging us and, all that's, but I expect all that stuff. And so that's why it doesn't bother me. Like I'm now in a brand new church. It's a brand new church for me, not for them. And again, it's two churches that amalgamate of four different communities, two different buildings. The hurt and the pain that's there is it's real and it's significant, but I find that really exciting. I think it, I think it was Winston Churchill who said the, the unwinnable fights are the best fights of all. And so, mm -hmm. you know, I expect all this chaos and pushback and everything else. And, and through that, you find people 
that you can lock arms with and go to battle with. And they might be 80 years old. They might be, you know, they might be brand new to the church. It doesn't matter. You know, Ron, as you talk, I can't help but notice a little bit of rhyme with Father's new assignment. I mean, you know, two churches coming together now, first time that they've had a single pastor. Father, how are you processing this? You taking notes? Do you love chaos? I used to say it was fun. Like the first week was like a lot of, oh, this is fun. And it was more just kind of, it's interesting to watch or just evaluate two churches that have very different cultures, even though they're seven minutes apart. That's kind of fun and interesting to evaluate. But like in the midst of COVID, when you're the father and you don't know your children, you can't be with your children as much as you maybe you'd like to be. It makes mm-hmm. it a little more difficult. And then also if you have a vision, which I, I think people listen to this podcast enough, know that I have a vision to reach more people for Jesus so that more people know that Jesus is within reach and he's there for them. And, and the church can do that. The local church can do that. Yeah, the more that I kind of share that vision, or actually, the, the, I feel like it kind of falls on deaf ears a little bit. And then also, like, I'm not even sure if it's falling on ears, uh, because the, mm. the inability to, to really speak to all the people. Yeah, so there's a little bit of that. So like, but I, I think it is fun. I think it'll be more fun when I do it with others. I'm growing in, a, uh, I think, a tighter relationship with one of the former pastors. He decided to become an associate. He's on my leadership team. Father Bomber. And then we also have another person that I, before I even started, I offered her the job of a director of evangelization. And I said, I see in you something like, let's do this together. Did you guys meet at a boys camp? We did not meet at a boys camp. No. Oh, bummer. But so it's just a process of kind of growing together. Like we, the three of us together don't know each other. And so lately from Jim's recommendation, just we've been sharing our testimonies of what the Lord has been doing in our lives. And I think it will really be a it's a spiritual battle I think you go into, and it's, it's nice to know that you have some comrades. I think what the Lord is doing is really helping us to, to lock arms spiritually, the three of us. And, and we're, we're looking for that next person who could join the team that wants to just go to battle and, and knock the hell out of the world. I think that's the right way to say it. <laughs> Beat that, like put, put some dents in the, the gates of hell through the local church. But it is a battle. And that's what I've been noticing more than probably in any other assignment that the enemy wants to discourage me constantly. Uh, so mm-hmm. I, I appreciate your enthusiasm. I know you have positivity in your top five. So it's, oh, this is fun. So you're just always happy about everything. Look at all the chaos. This is great. Yeah. But geez, I can't even get, you know, the, the collection to go because we got rid of the collection during COVID and now we're trying to get it to go and get the ushers on board and they're grumbling when they do it. And you're like, oh, how are we ever going to be able to evangelize if we can't even do a collection? And I can't, I can't influence these guys. And, and so there's moments of discouragement. And uh, today I got a phone call of one of the daily mass scores complaining that there were too many kids at the daily mass. Oh, I hate that. Yeah. And, I, and it may be that maybe a parent could have removed a child, taken them back to the foyer or whatever. But it's just like, I said, you know, we're a dying church, right? You know that, you know, we're dying. And maybe we're just not used to hearing children but it's, it's like those phone calls that I think other pastors have to receive. And you're just like, mm. you get discouraged. And, and you're just like, well, maybe, I don't know, maybe the evangelical church down the road, maybe, they, maybe that's where the Lord wants to <laughs> do all the work. I don't think so. But, but the, you know, those, that's what the enemy whispers constantly. Mm-hmm. So I think that's where my brother priests don't want another person. So, oh, let's do this. I'm like, you basically you're saying, I tried it and I failed. And please don't remind me that I'm a failure. That's, that's why I get discouraged when, when people come and say, mm-hmm. Father, why aren't we doing this? I'm like, I try it. I don't know how to do it. You know, guys, I, I mean, this is kind of personal for all of us. I mean, all three of us, different roads. Father, you had a, 
a really fruitful time in a small country parish where you were able to establish a leadership team and do some really cool stuff. Ron, obviously, I forget what you did. Oh, that's right. Divine Renovation, St. Benedict's Parish. Um, I spent many years as a focused missionary and saw just people coming alive in their faith and then beginning even to lead others to faith. Just we've all been blessed with seeing some extraordinary fruit in our life and our ministry. But all three of us are, we're all kind of starting something new now. I'm new to a parish relatively. Father's, you know, months into his new role as a pastor. Ron, you were to Sharon before we started, before we hit record and, and started. You know, you're new to a parish. And man, sometimes when you have this expectation, uh, when you've tasted something beautiful and fruitful, it can be hard to start over. Could we just talk for a little bit about like, what are the keys to starting over, to beginning again? Those who who have a dream, either because of something that they've personally tasted or just a vision that the Lord has put in their heart, what do you say to that person who's in that same spot where they're they're trying to find their place? The Lord has given them a vision and a passion, and they're trying to figure out how do they make an impact in their parish community. Where do they get started? Well, that's that's a great question because. I see people asking themselves that all the time. I mean, I can come at it from two different perspectives. You know, there's a fourth person that's doing something new too. Father James Mallon is just like you, Father Jeff. He's back in a parish and it's a combination of a bunch Mm. of parishes. So yeah, there's another person that's doing this thing. But, you know, if you're a lay person like me, um, when I left St. Benedict Parish, because I moved, I thought I'll get involved in the local parish up here and, and maybe I'll be able to use my gifts and skills. And, and I, you know, my thinking is I'll just go to the church, maybe get involved in hospitality because that is by far my favorite ministry. And I'll get to know some people. And then maybe over time, we'll see if what their vision is and see if I can help. And so I wasn't there very long where people started saying to the pastor, hey, that's the guy from Divine Innovation. You need to talk to him. And he didn't know who I was, nor did he care. And I like the guy. He's a great guy. I love him to death, this pastor. And so he asked for a meeting. We had a meeting. And he was very clear. He doesn't like Divine Innovation that much. And he doesn't like Alpha. And he's like, all right. Does he at least like hockey? No, he's Italian. He likes football, which means soccer. And so, but again, a super good guy. And there, I should say, I think there are parts of Divine Innovation he likes. He enjoyed the conference bits and parts of it. But, you know, he's formed in a very different style of leadership and everything else. And, and it works for him, to be honest with you. But, yeah, I just couldn't, like, I couldn't get engaged in the church. And so, although I wanted to... I, there was no interest and that was hard. And I think there's probably a lot of your listeners listening who might feel that way. Mm -hmm. And the question becomes, how can you influence your pastor? Because you're not the pastor and you're not on the leadership team. If he even has one, or you're not one of the decision makers or the influencers. And so first question I would encourage you to ask is, are you a person who there's mutual respect there? Because if you are, then maybe there's some tools that you can use to begin to change, to have a conversation that would lead you in a direction that would uncover his passion. And maybe it's, maybe it's died. Maybe not, but maybe, maybe if he has passion and find out what it is, mm-hmm. and if it's died, then to resurrect it again. And then maybe you could find some common ground and then start working together. One of the tools that I often recommend to people, you know, I think the divine renovation book itself, you know, changed our lives because as soon as I read it, I said to Father James, we're in trouble. He said, why? I said, because people are going to start calling. I said, no, they're not. Nobody's even going to read it. I said, yes, they are. And this is a game changer. And sure enough, the phone started ringing off the hook. And that's why we ended up starting a ministry to try to respond mm-hmm. to. 
because it, it connected with, you know, some, a good song will, will connect with themes that you think, and oh my gosh, I can't believe that song hasn't been written. It's speaking exactly my experience. Well, some people felt that way about the book. And so that's a good tool. Or maybe it's the Amazing Parish Conference, or it's lots of different paradigm shifters. If you go into divinerenovation.tv, there's five videos that Peter Herbeck did with Father James, just kind of outlining the themes of the book. So if somebody's not a reader, get them to watch a 15 minute video and have a conversation. And sometimes that can lead somewhere. Mm-hmm. But I think the other thing is to recognize and be honest with yourself. And Father Jeff, you, you, you probably be too gracious to maybe say anything about this, but some people in your parish are actually a pain in the butt. And if you're one of those people that are a pain in the butt to your pastor, you beating them up with your passions or a book or something else is probably going to go nowhere. And so how's your self-awareness? Do you know that about yourself? And it doesn't mean the passion on your heart isn't worthwhile and worthy, but it means you might not have influence. And so recognize that and take responsibility for the, the influence you do have or don't have. And if you don't have the influence with your pastor, that's okay. Ask yourself who does and can you form any relationships and maybe have some conversations with the people who influence your pastor? Because we're not trying to manipulate anybody or get them to do anything they don't want to do. But what we're trying to do is find out if our passion and the passion of our leaders, if there's any common ground so that we can work together to glorify God and bring people home. And so I just encourage any of you listeners, if, if, if you, that's your experience, to think that stuff through and be wise. Don't be a nag. Be wise and think about how do I leverage influence? You know, I've been blessed with this church I'm in now, this new church is I actually coached this church for the last year and, and they asked me if I would come and join their parish and, and, and then get involved with heading up evangelization and then join their leadership team. Well, not many people get that start. And that hasn't been my start in most of the parishes I've belonged to. And so it's more of a, a question of having discussions that can explore passions where we can find common ground and move forward with excitement. Yeah, Ron, I can't help but notice your patience. I mean, you walk in, just look for hospitality ministry, how can I help? But you decidedly did not walk up to the pastor right away and say, hi, I'm Ron Huntley. Here's my card. I'm here to help you. Like, I just, I thought, I mean, clearly you had a servant's heart, but the patience and humility, I mean, I noticed that, that like you waited for him to initiate the conversation and the meeting. That's beautiful. I think that's hard for those of us who have passion, reflecting maybe on my own lack of patience. When you see your pastor struggling, when you see their isolation, when you see their loneliness, when you see maybe glimmers of passion that are being choked off by overwhelming responsibilities and and being alone. I'm just curious, Father, could you just speak to like, as a pastor, how does somebody gain influence with you? I mean, besides like, you know, chocolate chocolate and, you know. (laughs) Yeah. Chocolate won't work. With Hillshire Farms, the little those little cheese sausage packet things. Yeah, yeah. you got to tell me you like Divine Renovation. You like Alpha. Those two things would win my heart pretty quickly. Actually, you no. Know, when when somebody, I've had a few moments. I, I shouldn't sound so discouraging because it's it's really hasn't been that bad at all. It's been you know. A few, there's always going to be a little minor thing that it's the maintenance stuff that they could you sort of major in the maintenance and, and I want to major in the mission. 
And uh, so you get a little bit bogged down in, in that stuff and, and the enemy just loves to pick at you. So I, but I've had some really positive experiences where like, you know, God just put this wonderful woman, this person who's going through the mentorship program for the Archdiocese, Teresa Gunya. She, she, she works here. She was the DRE and she says, I want to do more. And it's like, oh, I'll give you more to do. Like there's plenty to do here. So like the Lord has really blessed us there. And then we have really good staff. And even though they're really kind of the administration type staff, they're good people and they're, they want to be holy and they want to grow. Uh, but there, I did have a, a good moment with another guy. He really was kind of interested in like, how can I help with fundraising? Because that's a big thing, fundraising in Catholic schools. And, and I really just, I, even, I had a whiteboard in front of me. So I started writing on it. Let me show you like, a, what, like the game plan to use uh, St. Benedict language. Let me show you the kind of a, what I'm really hoping for, for the parish. And so I started sharing that. And he's like, oh yeah, small, small groups. You know, I used to go to one of the evangelical churches here in town. And I went there for like three years at City Light here in Omaha. I'm like, mm-hmm. I, and I, of course, I'm envious of City Light and anything. <laughs> like this powerful small group community. You go there and you, just, you know you're loved, you're known, all, that, all the stuff I would want from my parishes. And so he's tasted it. He wrote me an email back and, and just said, uh, I have some familiarity with small groups and I would love to help you get that started here in your parish. That kind of stuff, like that passion for wanting to see lives changed, I'm all like, that's the best. Like, how can we help people experience community and experience Jesus? So whether alpha or small groups, that kind of stuff, I'm probably going on too long, but uh, you know, we have another school. We have two school, I have three schools. In fact, one of them is mm-hmm. not really mine. Actually, two of them are. It's a long story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So here, the one where I'm at St. Joan of Arc, you know, we have our regular parish school and it's a good school. It serves a lot of poor people, a lot of families that are really underprivileged. We don't get a lot of money from it. In fact, we're going broke because of it, but it's a work of mercy. And the kids that are ready and the families that are ready, it's raising disciples. It does that. We can do a better job for sure. Then there's another school above us that really has a beautiful vision, Christendom school. And so Jim's kid actually is a, is a student. And um, it really started with a couple founders that have a vision for influencing the world through Christianity, through Catholicism, and doing it through classical education and Montessori type education. And in fact, I just went over to the church and I saw like the eighth graders, they're all in there in adoration because we have exposition. So they were doing a, a, some time I'm like, oh, it's beautiful. <laughs> so that's so awesome. And I don't know where I'm going with this, but uh, I do feel like people are trying to influence me. Like, so some people from that school would say like, Hey father, how can we become more part of the, the parish? I'm like, I don't know exactly, but you've got my interest for sure. Mm-hmm. Because I'm, I think we want the same thing. What I need help from you is to, is to influence the other families in the parish and to be that bright spot of like, be the, be the, the, the missionaries. Don't just, consume Christianity because it's like the orthodox thing to do, consume Catholicism and live a certain way, but, but to be a, a church that, that goes out, be that church. And so I'm probably uh, babbling and, and Whitney will probably edit a lot of this, but, uh, but it is, I will say it's hard to figure out who, who has their own agenda and who has the agenda of, of Jesus. It's sort of hard to figure that out. Like, do they just want to grow their school or are they, are they really interested in, in wanting to expand the kingdom? And I think you expand yeah. the kingdom through evangelization and, and reaching out to those lost, not trying to influence like other sort of like the, the homeschool, like the really Catholic families, like Jim's family. Like, you know, there is that. You really have a swelling. I think that was the word that I learned at the Divine Renovation Conference. Like mm-hmm. you're just getting a bunch of people from other parishes to come, like these really Catholic people. Catholic, are, Catholic refugees. Yeah, like they're just looking for a home because they don't feel comfortable where they're at. 
So are we just interested in kind of swelling the church? Like, so now we've got all those people in this parish. I'm not interested in that. I, I, wanna, I want people to come to this church that have never walked into church before. And the people that are in the pews are the ones bringing them in. So if they can help me with that, awesome. But I don't want to just become more Catholic. I mean, I want to become more Catholic by being like the Acts of the Apostles Catholic. You don't just want to shuffle Christians around. You actually want to make disciples. So the main question was, how do you influence Father? Well, have that vision. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, Ron, I was, I'll kind of throw this one at you. It seems like for all of this, we have a desire. We want to be able to connect with people and see their hearts. And when someone says, oh, I love Alpha. Oh, I love Divine Renovation. I went to a boys camp with James Mallon. Whatever they say, it's like, those are just symbols that communicate a lot about their heart and their passion and their vision. If those symbols aren't accessible, how do you connect with someone's heart? How do you really discover? Because oftentimes we're not using the same language. I mean, you would think as Catholics, we do have this rich tradition and this kind of common language and heritage. And yet today, in the circumstances we find ourselves in the church, sometimes people are using the word evangelization and they don't really mean the same thing. You know, Father alluded to some people is like, yeah, I just want to be a refuge for Catholics who don't like their own parish. And that's not what many of us mean when we talk about evangelization. We actually want to make disciples. How do you begin to cut through the challenge of language and really get to a common vision and a common heart? I think as leaders, we need to be prepared to make a lot of upfront investments in other people. Hmm. What do you mean by that? I need for people to catch me loving them over and over and over. I need to make deposits into relationships ahead of time so that when I make an ask, which is a withdrawal, there's enough relational equity to cover the ask. And I find a lot of leaders will head forward with ideas and opinions without having made the deposits in relationships. And then there's this tension and, and that's why for me, and, and, and I know people that have issues with Alpha because it wasn't created in the Catholic Church. And you know, if I say the word, they're going to write me off already. But I am a Roman Catholic who loves the richness and fullness of the Roman Catholic Church and the sacramental life and the liturgical experience when done with excellence. But Alpha is about people and it's about Jesus. And here's the deal. If I don't, I need a way to get to know people. I don't know a better way than having dinner with them 11 weeks in a row. I didn't even have dinner with my mom 11 weeks in a row once I left home. And so when I have yeah. dinner with people 11 weeks in a row, no matter how weird they seem at the beginning, I seem to fall in love with them halfway through. And then by the end, I can't even consider life without them. Mm -hmm. And right in the middle of Alpha is this encounter with the person of the Holy Spirit, which absolutely transforms people's lives. I can't transform anybody's life, but God can. And so if I can get to know people and create an environment where they can have their life transformed by God himself through the power of the Holy Spirit, now we have clay that's pliable, right? Now I'm clay in the hands of the master potter. And so often I see people spend all this time with plans and here's all the pieces and they, they put this strategic thing in place and then they try to win people over with ideas and opinions. And then lo and behold, they come up against resistance. There's, they lack relationship. Mm -hmm. And so forget all that other stuff. Like if you're struggling, then 
man, have dinner with people 11 weeks in a row and invite God into the heart of it and watch what happens to you, to them, and to your church. It will never be the same if you get it. But if you don't do that, I don't know, tell me, write a book about it and tell me how to get a church that's worth going to that lives out that song I was talking about. I don't see it happening anywhere. And here's the problem. People have grown up in a church where that's never happened in their whole life. And so all of a sudden we have a vision for something they don't even know what the heck we're talking about. And so we don't, in my opinion, I don't want to tell you about it. I just want you to come experience it. Just come and see. Can we have dinner 11 weeks in a row and see what happens? I don't know. Maybe you'll hate it. I'm guessing you won't, but let's try it. Let's come with an open mind and have conversations where I get to hear your story. You get to hear mine. And let's just see where it goes. And my experience is, is when you invite God into that, it changes everything. But in the absence of that, you know, now I'm running into opinions, perspectives, ideas, and everybody has one of those. Who cares? And so I need to give people an experience of authentic Christian relationships. And until that happens, like I remember a lady one time to me, so beautiful, her name is Diane Sutherland. Actually, do you guys know Sidney Crosby? It's his aunt. Mm-hmm. You don't know that he's a hockey, hockey player. He's the yeah. best in the world. But anyway, that's okay. There's probably <laughs> lots of basketball players I don't know. That's the one with the sticks. I got it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and so anyway, she said to me, Ron, I've been a Catholic all my life. And this is the first time I've ever belonged to a church that feels like a family. My whole life. Well, I see that over and over and over and over and over again everywhere I go. Everywhere I go. And so why would I want a church absent of that? Ron, that's so beautiful. I can't help but think as you're speaking here, I think you're probably dispelling some stereotypes about divine renovation and Alpha for that matter, uh, spokesperson for both. You know, as, as people are, I think, superficially, their connection, whether it's maybe it's Father James's passion or it's just the conversation about establishing a leadership team, I think sometimes people miss like, man, the goal is to create a community where people know they're loved by each other and ultimately by the Lord, right? I mean, back to the heart of your story. I don't deserve this. Oh my gosh, I am so loved, so beyond my deserving. You are really uniquely positioned, you know, the work of divine renovation, national, international, and not just international because, you know, you're like United States and Canada, but like even foreign, foreign countries, Talk a little bit about like, what are you seeing happen in the church globally now? Some of the rhymes, maybe some of the unique situations that are happening with our brothers and sisters overseas. You know what I love about what I've done? I remember, I just have to say too, I remember when we started talking globally early, I actually, I get irritated by it because I thought it was arrogant. Uh, who do you guys think you are internationally? I thought... But honest to goodness, we go all over the world and do this. We coach churches all over the world in different languages. And, and I never dreamt in a million years God would be doing what he's doing with me and us and the ministry. And so it's not global because we wanted to take on the world. Not even close. Most of this was by accident in many ways. It's just following the, the passion that God's placed on our heart and trying to bring it to reality. And it's just caught fire. But what I love everywhere I go. People say, oh, yeah, but you don't get it. We're from Omaha. 
And even people in Omaha would say, yeah, but we're from the south part of the, the town. We're not from the north part. You don't get us. And, and the people in the, 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 the south part would say, yeah, but they're on the other side of the tracks. We're on the side. We're totally different. Yeah, but you're from that church seven minutes up the road. And so you don't get us. Like everybody thinks they're so unique. One of the new things that we just started doing is called a kickstart. And so we do uh, six coaching sessions with five pastors uh, on the fundamentals of bringing your parish for maintenance to mission. And what's great about it is they're from all over the world. And so they think they're unique until they talk to anybody else from other parts of the world and realize we're all facing the exact same problem. We're living a formula that's void of power and the spirit and miracles and authentic relationships, and nobody seems to care. And so people are coming and getting sacraments with no intentions on being engaged in the church. People are going to Catholic schools with no intention on coming to Mass because it, it's failing everywhere. But you know what I love about this universal failure, and it is, is that if our problems are the same, maybe the solutions are the same. And what I'm seeing is when people get evangelization right, when they get leadership right, and when they learn to surrender to the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives, it changes everything, everywhere we go. <laughs> so God works in Singapore, he works in London, he works in Omaha, he works in Halifax, he works in Australia. But it's almost like, I remember Nicky Gumbel saying years ago, one of the jokes he would, actually it wasn't a joke, it was a newspaper article, but it was satirical and it said, you know, God to leave the Anglican church, uh, you know, he's sped up with this and this. And then the article goes on to say, and the leader of the Anglican church says, Jesus leaving will be a little bit of a blow. Uh, but, you know, it's just a joke. But it's like people go to church but don't encounter miracles. They don't encounter transformations. Like, we don't even expect it around here. Maybe you guys do there, but no, you just go to church. But Father James's vision for the church is it should be a place of absolute radical transformation, unbelievable joy and worship, where, where, where people are being healed, where, where addicts are being set free, where this miracles should be happening in the Roman Catholic Church. And because of the absence of any even expectation of that, all these movements mm -hmm. spring up because people get so on fire and they can't be used in their local parish because nobody will give them the time of day that they start up these movements. Yeah. And it breaks our hearts because the movement should be the local parish. <laughs> Wouldn't that be cool? <laughs> Do you ever wonder if maybe that's what the Lord wants? I mean, maybe this is, that's above our pay grade, but because I, I see that. I mean, I, I've kind of teased the founder of the school that's right above me. I said, oh, you're just planting a new church. That's all you're doing. You sort of got tired of the way it was done in the local church. And so you're just doing your own thing. And pretty soon you'll, pretty soon you'll have all the same problems we have. And then and I know there's, <laughs> you know, uh, there's a, a blaze here. It's a ministry, but it really started off as kind of a praise and worship ministry. And then the, the priest that runs it is, has been able to uh, kind of do that full time. And I just think, why can't you do that in the local church? Well, because he couldn't, because it was too hard. And I don't know why it was. I mean, he was actually in a good place, you know, St. Gerald's. You guys, I think you guys were coaching St. Gerald's and I'm probably speaking a little bit too locally and naming names, too many names, but they were in a perfect position to make it happen at St. Gerald's. And I think they still are. And I just thought, but well, maybe the Holy Spirit is leading him somewhere else. And because it can't be done in the local church. 
Maybe the, I, I don't know. Yeah. Those are the questions that I have some days. I don't and those are the questions that we have to discern because it's so hard. But, you know, when I talk to people in movements, and I talk to them all the time, their heart is, I wish we could do this in the local church. And so we all want to be in the boat rowing in the same direction. And yeah. sometimes it's impossible and we have to move on. And it's a heartbreaker. And, you know, look at Paul and Barnabas, you know, <laughs> You know, there are times when people have to move on. But, you know, I, I think a big part of it for us, if I'm honest, and, and this is what I see over and over again worldwide, and, and, and I'm not saying this out of any disrespect, I'm just stating a fact, is that in the seminaries and in the priesthood and even bishops, there's zero training in leadership. So there's no, like, and, but yet you're given these huge opportunities to lead. But mm -hmm. we don't even, we don't even address it as a topic. And so... We have a, like, systemically, we really have a lot of opportunity to grow if we want to. And what I've seen, and because that's basically what I do in coaching, is help people learn how to lead. I don't tell them what to do. Not for me to tell people what to do. You figure out what to do. I want to teach you how to think like a leader, act like a leader, and raise up a team to become a high-performance team, not just a working group. Because I'll bet on a high-performance team who mm -hmm. love each other, that are committed to a single goal, I'll bet on that horse all day long versus a person who thinks this is the way we do it, and I'm just going to tell people what to do, and we're going to be fine. No, you're not going to be fine. We're dying. But when we teach people, pastors, how to lead and how to work out of the team, that changes everything because they don't know how. But either the bishops, and we're starting to work with bishops and dioceses as well, because, and, and we can only work with people who want to be worked with. Just like you, Father Jeff, I mean, you'd probably love to work with all your parishioners, but you can't. You can only work with the ones that will let you, that will only say, you know what, I trust you. I'll listen to you. I'll try to find common ground, and, and, and I'm willing to step into ministry with you to make this a reality because you can't make people do anything. And so that's a free will is an interesting choice on God's behalf, uh, <laughs> but it makes leadership so much fun. Yeah. I'm often, I play the words of father Mellon back in my head throughout these couple months. He'll say, you'll be frustrated by what you can get done in a year and, and amazed by what you can do in three. So uh, that's sort of my consolation prize that, and just knowing that Jesus is with me and I have confidence that he hears my prayers, but also just knowing that like, just if you keep plugging away and keep being faithful because God is faithful in three years, you'll, you'll, you'll be, I'll be pinching somebody else's arm or somebody's going to be pinching mine. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. But that won't be the case for other people listening today. If they don't have vision and they don't, and they're not a student of leadership like you are. And so mm -hmm. you, you have taken the initiative like God has captured your imagination. You're humble enough to say, I need to learn. How can I grow? And then you become a student of this. And lo and behold, as you apply these principles, they work. And yes, it takes time. It's ever as fast as we want it to. And they will have stumbling blocks. And people will have, write letters to the bishop telling them that, you know, all kinds of things. You know, that's normal. But you have a vision and a conviction that it's possible. And you're willing to invest in yourself and others to make it happen. And boy, that is rare in our church globally, to have pastors who have that kind of humility, uh, hunger to learn, and, and, and willingness to, to work out of a team. It is, it's, breaks my heart, really. Would you say, Ron, that's what it comes down to? I mean, just that willingness to learn 
and that vision, a passion that pushes us through the uncertainty and the chaos and the discouragement. I think that's a big part of it. I understand why pastors lose their zeal. This structure and how we do things is really broken. Like we have some priests that we coach and their churches are crushing it. <laughs> like they're literally hiring through the pandemic because they're so successful and fruitful. And, and guess how the bishops make their money? <laughs> like guess where a lot of that money comes from? Parishes. Mm -hmm. and, and yet they're clearly crushing it in their diocese. Not one phone call to say, hey, you know what? You're doing a great job. What are you doing anyway? Like, way to go. Zero encouragement. None of them have ever gotten a phone call once ever from a bishop or anybody from the chancellery saying, you know what? You're doing a really good job. Can you tell me? Like, no, no curiosity whatsoever. And so you live in a system like that where you get no encouragement. It's, it's not a healthy structure. <laughs> Maybe it's a lot healthier in Omaha, but everywhere else in the world, it's not particularly healthy. And so people lose their zeal. And then they move to priests all the time, and so they can't get anything going. So mediocrity is the best you could possibly do because we don't even expect anybody to be great. And we don't leave them there long enough. We don't support them. The whole system is structured uh, in ways that can crush your zeal and your passion. And so the fact that any pastors have any passion is a miracle to me. But it has to, like Father James talks about it as, as a supernatural hope. Mm -hmm. Like a supernatural hope. Because, you know, these bones can rise, like they can rise again. And can we, can God use us to do miracles in our church, in our time, in our diocese? And the answer is yes. But the next thing is, will you then go and learn? Like, where are you going to learn from? Because that's key, because most of the pastors that we work with feel like they're alone in their diocese. Because if they want to be that person, well, they feel alone. Not saying they are alone saying they feel alone, they don't get supported with other people who have that zeal, passion, belief, and hunger. And so you, they stick out like a sore thumb. So they have to suppress that when they're with other people because they just become annoying and obnoxious and they know it. And so they're just dying inside and feeling really lonely. And so people who have that zeal, passion, humility, and hunger need to find a place where they can connect and be supported. Because, And that's why I love what you guys are doing in Omaha and how you're like I talk to other dioceses and I say, you got to talk to Omaha. Like, I love what you're doing and how you're positioning yourself to come alongside of pastors to, to, to have those discussions about what their dreams are, what their passions are, and, and give them the resources they need to begin having these conversations. And not because you have all the answers, but because you're willing to journey with them together to do great things. I'm telling you, not a lot of dioceses have that disposition. I, I love how you're set up. And I, I love that your bishops, you know, allowing that to happen and, and bring the right people around them. Like, I couldn't be more excited about where you guys are at and, and your heart for what you want to do with the people that you work with so that their churches can be amazing. And you're doing it from a place of humility, not a place of knowing it all. And you're getting help so that you can grow and learn and you're helping each other be great. Like the culture you're creating in your diocese through your teams and what you're doing. I could not be more excited about it. In fact, I'm probably going to drive you crazy because I keep telling people about you as I talk to diocese. I know. I've got a call scheduled later this week and a couple of others. I'm like, Ron, 
no, that it, it's an thank you. That's that's a great encouragement because your your perspective, you know, you've seen. I mean, worked with so many parishes, so many dioceses, and you've been such a blessing to us. You know, as a coach, just your encouragement and uh, the stories and the wisdom you share has been a great blessing for us, and we feel obligated to share that. That's awesome. Ron, any final words of encouragement or advice? I mean, we've gone kind of all over the place uh, here today, talking about our own stories and starting over and yeah, any kind of final tips? You talked a little bit about reading, I don't know, book recommendations or anything you want to throw out there? There's, uh, you know, Father James just launched his newest book called Beyond the Parish, and it is amazing. It really is. And it does incorporate more of a you know, how the parishes, if they run well in diocese and how they could dance together in ways that are fruitful. So I find it's an amazing conversation starter. But, you know, for those lay people, and I would say for, for the clergy as well, you know, there's a something you can do called APEST assessment, A-P-E-S-T. And it's from Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 11. And it says, Jesus gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. And what's so fun about that, it's an $8 assessment. It's very affordable and it will give you your assessment, but it will help you begin to see why you're so passionate about the things that you love. And what's great about that is it will help you see other people's passions too. It's helped me take myself less seriously about the things I'm passionate about and be more sensitive to the diversity which God gave you know, God gave us this diversity so that we could work together to glorify him, to do great things. And division, that's the enemy. And I've brought division through my frustration, through my hurt in my own church, how I've talked about others, and, and I'm not proud of that. And I hope that someday we'll be able to dance together, clergy and laity, in a way that, that produces sustainable fruitfulness in the form of transformed lives. But it's not going to happen unless we know ourselves and can appreciate the gifts in others. And that's just a real simple thing you can do. I, I ask you to take action. It's eight bucks. And talk about it with each other. And you're going to laugh. You're going to be wiser. And then think about what of those five things do you think your priest is? Start using his language, not yours. Because if you're going to connect with people, you need to connect with people on their terms, not yours. And let's work together to make the church amazing because God has given us everything we need to be amazing, even now. He really has. And so that's my prayer and that's my hope. Thank you, Ron. For those of you who are listening, we'll link to that test in the show notes. If you want to find the show notes, go to our blog, equip.archomaha.org. If you want to subscribe to the podcast, we're on all of the major platforms, Google, Apple, Stitcher. It's EquipCast, all one word. So just search for EquipCast and subscribe. Ron, if people want to connect with Divine Renovation or if they want to connect with you, how do they find you all besides going to Canada? Yeah. <laughs> That's right. We our, our conference was canceled due to COVID, but our website is divinerenovation.org. There's a lot of information there. You can go to divinerenovation.tv too. And there's some free resources on there that you can kick around. We have podcasts as well. I haven't been doing them a lot lately. We've been doing a lot of webinars and stuff, but there are resources there. You know, there's just so many good things happening in this space. And I'm just so grateful. Like we're just one of many and, and uh, there's a lot smart people out there, smarter than us. And we're just trying to do our part. And if there's anything that, that we can do to help, you know, that's what we're here for. But 
at the end of the day, we all do our part. I think great things will happen. So that website's probably the best way. Yeah. Thanks again for being here, Ron. Thanks for everything you're doing for the kingdom and for the Lord. You're welcome. God bless you. Thanks for having me.